I didn't think I had to remind you that it's election day this week. Surely you figured that out by now. But did want to make sure that you're encouraged. Sometimes we get to thinking that our vote doesn't matter. And I, I understand that. I've had that thought process in my head. But like a lot of things, it's not just a matter of what does my vote do? It's just understanding that we have a civic responsibility. We live in a republic in which the citizens are given the right to vote. It's kind of like just that God has given us the ability to participate in the system, and so we should participate. And so in order to make sure that our voice is heard, and it does it does matter. Every voice speaking together eventually comes together as a collective and does convey an image and so forth. And so we need to be participatory in that process as followers of Christ, as responsible citizens of the place where he's put us. Wherever God puts us, we should be faithful to participate in that. Making sure that we are doing above all to pray. Pray that God would bring about the outcome that he desires at this time. Uh, for our nation. There is so much at stake. We're in a series called Houses of God. And I've mentioned before that when we first started talking about the idea years ago, over 30 years ago, about having house church or life groups or cell groups or small groups and so many different names that they've taken on over periods of time, the reasoning was how would the church survive should we ever reach a time of persecution where uh, we are enduring what is happening in other countries? What has happened throughout the ages in the church? How would we endure? And the way the church has endured over all this time is it's much stronger when we can break the church down into small components where we will still get together in, the, in small groups, in homes, and still celebrate our faith, even if this place became an illegal place to gather or whatever would happen, heaven forbid, but should it be that, we'd still thrive. We'd still continue on. The church has survived 2,000 years by God's grace, by his sovereign hand, because it is not a building, it is not an institution. It is his people coming together as the body of Christ, filled with his Holy Spirit, guided by his word to accomplish his mission, his purpose, his plan. And so that's, you know, that's what we are doing today. But when we are able to do it in our own homes, that makes us even stronger and uh, gives us the ability to persevere. And, and we've been looking at the biblical example of that throughout the book of Acts. And today, the message is called Breaking Down the Door. I thought it would be timely since yesterday was Halloween and and going with a scary movie type of theme, um, but there isn't a, I think there, a kind of a theme amongst scary movies. There's there's this idea of being in a room. I don't know if you've ever been in a room afraid uh, when you are uh, hiding from your big sister. Not that I'm speaking from experience, but uh, she's coming after you, and you lock yourself inside a room and so forth, and you hear the banging on the door. She didn't look quite like this, but it felt like she looked like this on the outside. I don't think she had an axe, um, but uh, there was a uh, there's always a there's always this theme, this idea of 
somebody wanting to get you and hide inside the room. And sometimes uh, even uh, the, the horrible part is just, is not limited to scary movies anymore. I, I hate it that in our schools uh, they teach children how to, you know, when someone's in the building, to lock the door and to get behind desks and so forth and how to secure yourself and so forth. Things that you would, I never had to do at school. You know, we had tornado drills and earthquake drills, but never were we afraid of somebody coming through the door to hurt us. Yet this is kind of a thing. And, uh, and, and, and we go through cycles. We, we, have, we have moments where things happen and then we all react to it. And so forth, but here's here's the thing about when you get people huddled inside of a room and somebody coming out the door, there's two different spirits that can be in that room. There is a spirit of fear, and when a spirit of fear in the roof, that means that you are terrified of what's gonna happen. You know, as where's the person at? You know, you're looking at that door and you're waiting and watching and so forth. And then there's a spirit of faith. Spirit of faith changes the makeup of the room. I mean, think about it right now. Think we are in a room right now. And there are people who would hurt us outside of this room right now. But there is not a spirit of fear in here. I hope not. We would be huddled huddled just a little bit differently, I think. I don't think this would be the room of choice. Because we got all kinds of open access to the doors. But there's, just by default, there's faith in this room. And when we get together in each other's homes, that's the same spirit that we want there to be. We want there to be a spirit of faith, not of fear, not of being afraid of what can come through that door and what can happen. But we're going to look today at the early church, and they had every reason to be afraid because there was a person going from house to house and dragging them out of their homes and persecuted. Some some were killed as a result of their faith. The irony is the person that was overseeing this dragging out of homes was the Apostle Paul. One of the greatest heroes of the faith was the villain in the early part of the book of Acts. He was the guy who was creating havoc and hurting people. Now, why this is so important is, is we miss this so often. I mean, you have to stop for a moment and think. The greatest villain, the one everyone was afraid of, the one everyone thought was going to hurt them, became the hero. And it wasn't because he had just a change of heart that all of a sudden he looked and said, what am I doing? You know, these people are nice and wonderful and so forth. Or somebody got in his ear and said, hey, Saul, are you really, you're doing all these bad things. You really need to have a change of heart or whatever. He read some in the papers. It wasn't anything like that. No, God himself stopped him in his tracks and said, what are you doing? You think you're doing something good. You're not doing something good. You're doing something bad. And changed him. And so... As we go through this message, as we look at this, just understand the enemies that we have today, the things that we think are coming after us today, the, the same God has the power to stop them in their tracks at any point. And it is a, I mean, I hate to say it like this, but in this, in this history of our planet, in the the place of mankind, it is, you have two choices. 
you repent or you die. When you face a holy God, when you are dealing with him, you have very few options. You either submit to him or you die. Now, that has always been the case from Adam and Eve all the way to us. He's holy. He's like, I'm going to give you the opportunity to be holy. Choose wrong. And uh, and it's it's like it, I I would keep thinking of this Indiana Jones reference in my mind. You ever saw Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade? You know, and the, he's trying to pick the right cup to have eternal life, and and the knights in there. And I don't know if you ever seen the movie, but you should watch it. Uh, the um, but uh, anyway, I don't usually recommend movies, but it, I mean Indiana Jones movies. They're, they're, come on. Uh, the um, so anyway, but he the guy goes in there and he says, I think this will be the cup, you know, of the Christ that drinks it or whatever, and he turns into an old man and turns to dust or whatever, and the knight says, he chose poorly. Uh, and uh, and I think I hear those words every time when I think of people who have the opportunity to do what God wants them to do, um, and then they don't do the right thing. I think, well, he chose poorly. <laughs> you and I, as we come together in homes and have an opportunity to be people filled with faith, remembering that God is stronger than the enemies outside the door, that gives us the freedom when we meet together to meet, eat, and pray in such a way where we can boldly go to God's throne. I mean, what, what, how, how does it make sense to come together in fear if, and being afraid of persecution and being afraid of what could go wrong and being afraid of what could happen in life? What, what good is that if we're then praying? Now, this is not a message about meeting in person during a coronavirus. It's not a message about meeting in person when you have the flu or have some type of disease. This isn't about, because I'm hoping you're not being afraid of a virus. I hope you're just being careful. I'm careful. You know, I wash my hands after I've, you know, I've been around a lot of bad diseases and bad things and so forth, and you should always be careful. I mean, if I see you with snot and slobber all over yourself and coughing and hacking and so forth, I'm not going to hug you, you know, and I've got a lot of faith. I'm just smart. (laughs) But what I am talking about is when we are afraid, when we have a fear that somehow God is not going to take care of us, is not going to protect us, no matter how careful we're being, no matter how safe we're being, that Satan's going to win that he's going to defeat God, that he's going to thwart God's purposes or God's plans. That's when fear gets a hold of when fear cripples us, when fear keeps us from doing what we know God has asked us to do. Look with me in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Stephen has just been killed. And that's a, that's a tough moment in the church. Stephen was a profound follower of Christ, a bold preacher of the word, and he was arrested and he was stoned to death by his testimony. In chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Saul agreed with putting him to death. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all all 
except the apostles, were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. So those who were scattered went on their way, preaching the word. Pray with me. Father, we just thank you, God, for how sovereign you are. Lord, this is such a dark little piece of Scripture. It looks like it's a horrible time to be a part of the body of Christ. Lord, show us today, through what we know happens in the rest of the story, through what we know happens in the rest of history, show us today how when we are going through a dark moment, Father, that you're still God. You haven't forgotten your people. Lord, you are going to work all things together for good. And so, Lord, may, may what looks like a dark passage bring hope. Because we know that we have a living faith, a living hope in Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes we have to talk about dark times. And because it is a reality of life, things don't go well. If you've been ruining our Bible reading and you've been going through Jeremiah, oh my goodness, bless his heart. Jeremiah is a tough, tough book. I, I, I love reading Jeremiah, but only because I'm not Jeremiah and I'm not having to go through what he's going through. But wow, he is facing some dark moments. He's, Jeremiah lived during a period of time in which God had a message for the people and they rejected that message and God says you still have to keep preaching it even though nobody's going to listen to it. In fact, they're killing people for preaching the message that Jeremiah is preaching. So Jeremiah, every time he opens his mouth and says what God wants him to say, he has a fear that it may be the last things he gets to say. He's just... He just seems to be born at the wrong time. He just seems to have... I mean, there are some other guys who got some really cool missions. He did not. There's some other guys that had some really amazing responses from the things that they got to share and do. He did not. And in fact, God would say, hey, I'm, if you just... All these people will, will just go and surrender to the Babylonians. They can go build houses and have babies and live fruitful lives. But Jeremiah, you're going to stay here where all the bad stuff is going to happen. And they're going to make wrong decisions and they're going to disobey God and you're going to be stuck with them. And you're going to have to endure through their wrong decisions and everything to do bad. That's a tough place, isn't it? That's tough to look at God and go, well, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the calling. Thank you for, thank you for using me. Appreciate it. Appreciate you putting me in this position, in this spot. And the, um, sometimes we get tempted to think that we are in the, um, that we are not in times like that anymore. And so I just wanted to highlight in just the last year, there have been over 260 million Christians living in places where they experience high levels of persecution. 
In just the last year, 2,983 Christians were killed for their faith. 9,488 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked. 3,711 believers were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. An open door says this. It says, these numbers are heartbreaking, and yet they do not tell the whole story. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That joy is what we see when we hear and work with Christians all over the world who suffer because they serve Jesus. God cares for his people, and he will never leave or forsake them. Sometimes it is... When we are going through pretty decent times, it's hard to imagine that the world is being persecuted. There are believers in the world being persecuted. And sometimes we, we get this, this idea that, uh, that this is tough, what we are going through. As a nation, we look at it and say, oh, these are really dark times here. It's like, you know, there are tough times. These are not the times we would, we would have. We've had better times. But this is not the darkest place on the planet. These are not the darkest moments being experienced by the body of Christ anywhere. Many, many other people would really love to have the opportunity. They would be a little confused by the body of Christ in the United States as to not being persecuted for coming together to worship, yet not taking advantage of that opportunity. They would... They do. They're puzzled many times, but... One thing that's happening and happens usually in a time when there is a dark moment and we are we are in a darker moment than we are used to. Not the, not even the darkest moment we've endured as a church, not even close to the darkest moments we've endured as a church in the United States. Darker than we are used to. But even in the midst of this, God is doing things to help expand his church to bring us closer together to show us some good things. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it just simply says that Saul had agreed with putting Stephen to death. That's how it starts, the chapter. Saul was a part of this. But then it says, on that day, on that day when they killed Stephen, they the enemies of God, the enemies of the church were emboldened to the begin to persecute the church in a severe way. Now, that's how it happens. It can happen in one act, one thing, one moment in time, and all of a sudden, everything shifts. It's that quick. And now, all of a sudden, people who are gathering together and feel they're gathering together in safety aren't gathering together in safety anymore. And people are hunting them down. Look, it says, On that day a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. And then it says, Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Now, Even though we are not going through what they were going through. Even though we're not going through what they're going through in other places. Understand, 
when we're going through a tough time, all it has, all Satan has to do is just give us the desire not to do what God wants us to do. That's all he has to do. Very low threshold there. He just has to keep us not wanting to get out of bed. He just has to get us to the point where we just don't want to do what God wants us to do. God wants me to share the gospel today. I just don't, I just don't feel like I'm doing it. Anytime, whatever you're going through, if you're going through something and your response is, oh, I'm so tired or I'm so afraid or I'm just so worn out or I just, I'm so upset or I'm mourning so deeply, anything like that. That's all, that's, he just has to get, he has to take us through those moments in life that get us to the place where we just don't want to serve him. Serve God. And God allows that. God allows that. Because God, God on the other hand, is looking for his people to look to him. Say, God, I don't feel like serving you today, but give me the strength to serve you. God, I don't feel like going out today, but give me the power to go out. Help me, Lord, to be faithful to you. Help me to go out and do what you've asked me to do. Help me to be the person that you've called me to be. He wants his people to look to him for some form of hope. And so when disaster comes to your door... When somebody's coming to drag you out, look for God's window of hope. Now, it's in here, and you it can't see it unless you know what's getting ready to happen. And I'll just point it out to you. He says, all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Now, we'll get to this point in just a little bit, but what's getting ready to happen is kind of like a preview. Or if you're a person who can't stay awake through the entire message, I'll give you kind of a tip of what's coming. And that is, he's scattering everybody because that's going to help spread the word. That's going to get people to move places that they wouldn't normally move. So he's he's got a purpose in this. If we're all content right here to be here and never leave and never whatever, then he lights a fire in the middle of the room and then we all scatter. And now we get, go places, and wherever we go, that's where he wanted us to go. We just weren't getting there on our own, so he had to do something to kind of initiate that. And he allows the enemy to do what the enemy does. And the enemy thinks he's hurting us, but he's really helping us. It, I mean, that the greatest example we have of that is on the cross, when the enemy thinks he's destroying Christ... But he's empowering Christ. By crucifying him, he gives him the greatest power. Demonstrated in the resurrection. You can't have a resurrection unless somebody dies. So the enemy is the unwitting participant in God's holy plan. And that's not changed. So when what Saul thinks he's doing for evil, what the, what the other zealots of the Jewish zealots in that day who were going after the church in Persecute, what they thought they were doing for evil, what they thought they were doing for good, but it was evil, and, but the evil that they were doing, God meant it for good. He turned it around and did something amazing with it. 
And so when you have that loved one who gets sick or you have that thing that you that losing your job or that relationship that's gone south or that that financial letter you got that just brings you to tears or whatever's going wrong and you're like what is going on stop for a moment and just say god i know you're here i know you're here help us see the hope in this moment help us to see the hope in this moment I've been doing this long enough that when people bring me bad news, I always believe there's hope somewhere in this. Because I've had some of the worst things where I've, I mean, God's tested that over the years and there have been people who brought me news and I thought, oh, there's no hope in that. And then God showed me, oh no, there's hope here. You, you may have to look a little bit or you have to wait a little bit, but here it is. And then you see the hope that comes of it. And you, I mean, you realize this child would have never been saved had this bad thing never happened. God used this bad thing to bring this child to an awareness of Christ or this dad who we've all been praying for. All these bad things happen. So this dad could come to an awareness of Christ or this church member whose life was spiraling down. These bad things happen in order to turn him up or this person who had no belief in God whatsoever. All these bad things happen to turn this person toward Christ and what you were enduring for hardship. This person came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So you went through a moment of suffering. So this person wouldn't have to deal with an eternity of suffering. It happens all the time. And he always is doing it for that reason. God is never putting his children through suffering or allowing his children to go through suffering. Let me say it that way. He is never allowing his children to go through suffering in vain. So always, when you, when you see the disaster, when you think, why is this happening? You, it may not make sense, but look for God's window of hope. God's window of hope. The second thing we see from this early church is the need to stay faithful. Stay faithful. When dark times come, continue to believe. Do not stop believing. Don't give up. Don't give up. And every time somebody, again, somebody comes and shares something bad, I I just wish that uh, I could take everything I've seen and pass it on to them so they could see how faithful God is always. Always. I and I and we're not pastors aren't immune from this. Even having, I mean, I, I I very much understand how the children of Israel could cross the Red Sea and then lose faith in just a few short chapters in Exodus. As a kid, I couldn't. As an adult, I very much understand that. I very much understand because God has done some amazing things in my life, and yet I have dark days where I struggle to remain faithful. Some days struggle, have these moments where I struggle to believe he's real. There's a voice in my head saying, this, none of this is real. And I have to go back to the word. And I have to take a moment, step back and pray and say, God, help, 
help to bind these thoughts in my head. Help me to take captive these thoughts, these, this voice, these, these voices of the enemy that he's trying to leak inside my head. And go back to the truth. And, remind, and, and I go, always go back to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I start there. I say, I remember he resurrected from the dead. He, he, there were hundreds of witnesses that he prophesied of his resurrection and then he resurrected. So his words are true. And then he affirms the Old Testament. He affirms the New Testament. So if the one who resurrected from the dead is worthy to be trusted... And if he affirms this word, then I can affirm that word. So I look at it and trust it. So then I look and I trust what the word is saying and then have to believe the things I'm seeing, the thing that's manipulating my feelings, the thing that's wanting me to lose faith, that thing is the liar. That is the deception. Whatever is trying to get me not to believe the truth of God's word is the deceiving thing. I can't trust my feelings. I can't trust my emotions when they are, because they are open to deception. When they contradict God's word, my feelings are wrong. My senses are wrong. God's word is always the constant. And so I stay faithful. Looking at 8.3, it says, Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women... And put them in prison. Now, in China, when you join the church, they teach you how to survive in prison. And they'll tell you, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when that you're going to get arrested and put in jail. And so you want to know how to survive. We don't teach that in our new members class. I don't know if you want me to add that. But we are not doing that right now because there's not really that threat, is there? I mean, when you came into the body of Christ, there was nobody who said, hey, just FYI, you can go to prison for this. It's a, I think it's important for us. And again, it's tempting for us to say, how does this even relate to us? Because I'm not, I'm not thinking any of us are going to go to prison anytime soon. Well, I think that's the enemy's strategy. I think he lures us into complacency, lures us into believing it can never happen here, that nothing like that, no type of persecution like that could ever happen to us or ever into us. I know, and the longer we go, the, the easier it is to be lured into that complacency. But I think it's, I think when we read this in God's word and we see it has happened to the church and we look throughout church history, it has happened. I think it is upon us that at some point or another, we realize we need to come together and be prepared for persecution. Now, I don't speak to it a lot, but it does need to be spoken about, and that's that's the point of us being here right now is to be understanding. I think, and I think our life groups, well, think of your life group as a persecution preparation place. And how do you prepare for persecution? You meet together, you eat together, and you pray together. That's how we that's how we survive. That we come. I mean, you look throughout. Church history, especially throughout the book of Acts, and the things that the, when we're being persecuted, what do we do? We come together and we pray. We pray. And this is what, if I could just change one little thing, and I'm not trying to say it's bad that we pray for 
people who are having hip surgery or people who are have got a cancer diagnosis. Absolutely, we should pray for the health of our body. Absolutely, we should pray for that. I'm just saying, I want you to broaden your scope when you're praying. And begin to pay attention to people within the body of Christ who are being hindered from serving in the body of Christ. When you see things at work or things at home or things here that are keeping them from serving, pray through those things because that's the enemy working to try to keep people from being obedient to Christ. That is a, that is a battle that's taking place. It may not be at the level of persecution. It may not be people being hurt because of their faith, but especially when you see somebody who starts to get excited about their faith, and then bam, all types of things happen in their family. All types of things go wrong. And you, and you even make the comment, you know, they were really starting to get involved. They were really starting to be on fire for the gospel. They were really starting to be on fire for Christ. Or they were really starting to get involved and in, uh, in, indulge in the word and, and really get focused on obeying Christ. And all of a sudden, all these things happen. It's like, that is not an accident. That is the enemy who's springing up in their life, trying to keep them, hinder them. You've experienced it. I've experienced it. We know what it is. So when you see it in the life of other people, when you see it in your life, obviously, you should share that in your small group. When you get together in your life group, if you feel you are being hindered from doing what it is, you should share that. Say, something's happening. That's keeping me. I don't feel like serving or, or, it's, or the, all these external influences or these real factors in life or my schedule keeps getting messed up. Then pray through that. Come together as the body of Christ and then go before the throne of God and say, God, we recognize the enemy is trying to keep us from doing what you called us to do. God, who is greater, give us the power to overcome the enemy, to win, to defeat him. This is how we prepare for persecution. Always paying attention to the activity of the enemy, but only in the respect that we believe that God is going to give us the power to overcome the enemy, to win. And if we see the enemy of God going from house to house and dragging people out, and removing him from the church, or removing them from being active in the church, or removing them from being active in the body of Christ, we need to be praying against that. That's why when we get together in life groups, you're looking around a circle of people saying, who's missing? And ask yourself, why are they missing? And if it's not a righteous explanation, if it's not a God-given appointment, if you believe that in some way, some fashion, there's a distraction, something that's hindering them from meeting together, eating together, and praying together, because we only meet one time a month. And when somebody can't make that monthly meeting to pray, something is amiss. And if you can't find Jesus in the reason they're not there, then you need to pray. That whatever it is is hindering them, they're able to overcome that. Empowered to overcome that. Surround them. Pray for them. Strengthen them. Call them. Say, we're praying for you. Praying that you'll be able to be with us next time. To pray with us so that we'll be strong together. So that you can be a part of this faith. Because I don't know if you've watched nature channels, but Satan has 
One strategy, when, when the Bible tells us that he goes around prowling around like a roaring lion, have you ever watched lions attacking? They have one strategy, that's isolate and destroy. When they go after a herd of wildebeest, they don't go after the herd. They roar, confuse, try to get one to break off from the pack, and they go after that one. That's exactly what Satan does when he attacks the church. He tries to break you off from the group, take you out. And the last thing is, when they were scattered, which seems like the enemy has just won, we need to remember when we are scattered, when we are moved, when God moves us where we didn't intend to go, we need to bloom where we're planted. This is not a time to go into lamentation and mourning. This is time to look and say, okay, now I'm here. My home got destroyed by a tornado. Can't live there. I'm moved over here. I'm in a shelter. I need to be faithful to be God's witness here. I have to move to another town because of a hurricane. I need to be God's faithful witness here. We don't have a lot of hurricanes in Missouri. I'm just throwing that out as an example. But when we are forced because of whatever reason, a job change or, or life situation or this happens or that happens, and all of a sudden we wind up in another place, we need to bloom where we're planted. I say that especially to anybody who's here today who got moved here. We want you to bloom here where you're planted. Look in verse, chapter 8, verse 4. It says, So those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. The ones who were scattered, what did they continue to do? Preaching the word. Now here's that window of hope I was talking about earlier. Why did God scatter everybody apart? Why did he allow things to happen to break everybody apart? Because the word got to places it wouldn't have gotten to otherwise. This church has experienced this. You all see something usually as a negative that I, when I got here, I saw as a positive. It wasn't positive that you went through it. It can have a positive result, and that is every time Satan got into the midst of this body of believers and broke it apart, now you have other gospel-centered places that are sharing the gospel. People are getting saved. I mean, just ask yourself, has anybody gotten saved as a result of any church that's broken off from this body of believers? Did anybody get saved as a result of that? The answer is yes. People got saved. The kingdom got expanded. So now, we just are faithful to continue to share the word boldly, continue to bloom where we are, and do what God. So when the trials of life move you elsewhere, wherever you are, you have the gospel with you. So if you do get separated from us and God takes you to another city because of a job relocation or whatever, or something happens and you need to move up here because of or whatever, you have to be closer to a hospital in another town or whatever the case, or you're just in a hospital for a temporary period of time. Here's the way we should always think about it. When, whenever you get sick and you got to go to the hospital, think, okay, I'm going to be in this hospital for this period of time. God's going to bring people into my life I don't normally see. Now's my opportunity to witness to them. Now's my opportunity to be the ambassador for Christ, to share the gospel with them. Always be attuned to that. Always be paying attention that wherever God make wind up, you think, why am I here right now? Why am I in this place right now? It's to be his gospel representative, an ambassador for Christ. So take advantage of that moment. Here I am. Your kid has some soccer tournament in some other town or a grandchild or something has something going on and you drive over there and you're doing that. Look for God's gospel sharing opportunities. He has you there for a reason, even if it's for a short period of time. 
And if you have looked for that hope and you've stayed faithful, then you will bloom where you are planted. This morning, we've talked about this before, about this being an altar. And I know you're going to get the hang of this because I'm going to do this every week for the rest of my life. And that is just when we get to the close of the service, I just want to give all of us the opportunity to pray. Now, I, every service, I tell people this, because I, I grew up in a church, I grew up in a church where when people came to the altar, they were lost. Now, this was a, that means nobody went to the altar because there are only 14 of us in the church and we're all saved. So you had to get, and we're Southern Baptists, so you can't get lost again or you have to go to the General Baptist Church. So we, we were already all saved, 14 of us, every week, so nobody ever went to the altar. And if a visitor came in and went to the altar, we all make assume something's wrong with them. What's wrong with that person? Why are they at the altar? And that's how we, I was conditioned. And later in life, somebody set me free from that. Set me free from that way of thinking. And now I'm conditioned a completely different way. And that is every opportunity I have. And like, okay, here we have an invitation. I have an opportunity to humble myself before God and lay my sufferings out before Him. Or to pray for a brother or sister in Christ. Because we carry these burdens around with us. And how often do we come into the service and we carry the burdens in and we carry the burdens out? When we came together in a moment of worship, in a time where we all assembled together in the presence of the Almighty and the power of the Holy Spirit, we had this opportunity to lay our sufferings down. And if you are suffering this morning, I don't care what it is, if it's a physical suffering, emotional suffering, spiritual suffering, whatever the suffering is, lay it at the feet of Jesus. Give it to Him. Say, God, help me. I just want to lay this before you. Would you take this from me? And then leave it there. Don't carry it out with you. Leave it there. Feel Him. Take it off of you. And then walk out. That's why you see, when you see people come up, that's all they're doing. This, or, or maybe you know somebody who's suffering. Intercede on their behalf. We've been given this amazing gift that I can pray here. I may not be praying for me. I may be praying for you. I may know you're suffering. And I have an opportunity Somebody get busy with the rest of the day. I don't have a lot of opportunities the rest of the day to come and kneel down, but I've got this moment. So let's take a moment and I kneel and, and pray. But you may not know this. But our nation is in a pivotal moment. And if there's nothing else you can think of to pray for, pray for our nation to survive for religious liberty to be maintained, for us to have the opportunity to continue to share God's Word no matter what the election results are, that we will have the ability, the empowerment to be faithful and do His will. But that God God, would move in such a way that we see His glory demonstrated that Christ is lifted up and that people are drawn to him so that they might be saved. We're not going to get the government the way we want it perfectly so that we become this utopian society. This world is condemned. We need to share the gospel to people to give them hope that there's a better world coming. 
And for them to put their faith in that, in the, in the Lord Christ, the King of kings. And so today is a great opportunity to pray for that. That God's will would be done so that more people will come to Christ, the kingdom would be expanded, and he will be glorified. So if you are suffering, or you know someone who's suffering, or you want to pray for our nation, I want to invite you to come pray for that this morning. Father, we just thank you, God, for how great and amazing you are. Lord, may we respond to your call this morning to be your people and pray. Pray, Father. We would not be afraid. Lord, if persecution comes, may we, as the body of Christ, pray that we would remain strong and focused. Lord, as we be like the early church, that when persecution comes, wherever, wherever we are driven as a result of it, that we would continue to preach the Word of God. But God, how could we expect to preach the Word of God if we're driven somewhere else, if we're not preaching the Word of God now? So Lord, I pray that you would put it up on our hearts to lay our suffering down before you, to pray for others who are suffering, that they be relieved from that, so that we might proclaim your word and the hope that is in Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. We pray it in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we have this time of invitation? I just want you to come and pray, if you would, please. Pray for God to relieve your suffering.